0: You are about to hear a message from one of our worship services at Rescue Church, located in West New York, New Jersey. If you'd like to visit or learn more about us, please check out www.rescuechurch.tv.
1: Forgiveness, this topic, why I'm so excited is because it's for everyone. It doesn't matter where you are on the journey. This is for everyone because there's always more. There's always more to accessing God's love and that comes through understanding His forgiveness. So I'm fully expectant, whether you're here tonight, whether you're listening later, that you will receive greater healing. You will receive greater healing by just doing this physically and emotionally, you will receive healing. I'm confident of that. In scripture, forgiveness is never in the language of feelings. Forgiveness is not in that category at all. Forgiveness is actually most often talked about in the language of money and specifically in the language of debts. That's the primary place that forgiveness lives in, the language of debts the two most common greek translations for the word forgive the first is afiemi this is the most common word translated as forgive in the greek and it occurs 142 times but only 45 times as forgive the other 97 times it's translated as to send away or to give up a debt, to let go the second most common word for the word forgive in the New Testament is the word charizomai. And you can see in there the word, the root word charis, the word for grace. Charizomai occurs 21 times and 10 times it's translated as forgive. And 8 times it's translated as freely given. The word implies to grant as a favor or to show oneself to be gracious or kind. So if you put these two words together, to give up a debt, to release a debt, or to send a debt away, to let it go, and to freely give, those two phrases, if you put those words together, that really sums up what forgiveness is really about in scripture. Again, it's not about something you feel. It's about something you choose to do, to give up a debt, to freely give. So we're gonna spend some time in Matthew 18, if you guys wanna turn there. Matthew 18, starting from verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, "'Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me "'and I forgive him?' up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So Jesus is using the language of hyperbole. He's not saying, all right, cap it at 490 guys, count up till then. He's saying, there's no limit. There's no place for keeping a tally of forgiveness. If you're still counting, you're not really forgiving. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, so a talent was the heaviest biblical measure of weight. It amounted to about 75 pounds. So don't think of it as like a coin that you can hold in your hand like a quarter. It's more like a large rock, a large stone of gold or silver. One talent was that that much weight, seventy-five pounds, and one talent was worth about twenty years' wages for the average day laborer. So this guy owed ten thousand talents, which meant he owed the master two hundred thousand years worth of labor okay how he even racked up that much who knows but this is insane two hundred thousand years worth of labor there is no way he could ever pay this no way so the next verse but as he was not able to pay obviously. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me. Have long suffering, be long suffering with me. That's what that word means. Have patience with me. Be long suffering with me and I will pay you all. There's no way he could pay them all, but he's pleading For the master to have mercy. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, so one denarius was one day's worth of work for a day laborer, which means... 100 denarii is 100 days worth of work or a little less than a third of a yearly salary, which is not a small chunk of change, um, but it's not 200,000 years worth of labor. And this is his reaction. He laid hands on that servant. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat. So he starts choking him saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying the exact same words. He actually said, have patience with me, be long suffering with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servant saw that until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Okay, so for this, the summary of this whole parable is that there's no way that we could pay God what we owe him. There's no way. This is the most amount of, Money. This is a money that amount of money that nobody could pay back. 200,000 years worth of labor. There's no way we could pay God what we owe Him. But God graciously cancels our entire exorbitant amount of debt. And He expects that we go and do the same to others. Instead of eye for an eye and curse for curse, we are expected to. Out of what we've received, out of that abundance, we are expected to give and do the same to others, do likewise, because we have received so much, because we have been forgiven so much, because our so much of our debt is released out of that place. We're expected to go and do the same to others. But instead, what do we see in this parable? This unmerciful servant turns to a fellow servant and demands that he pay back all that he owes and he throws him into prison. So this unmerciful servant it it's not just the fact that he was forgiven so much and in comparison what was owed was so little and yet he could not give to him what he had received so freely. It's not just about the comparison of the amounts that was forgiven. It's also, we're supposed to hear this and feel like this is absurd. This guy is a fellow servant and yet he's acting like the master. He's throwing this other servant into prison, which is something that only masters, only kings had authority to do something like that. So this servant is treating a fellow servant as though he is his king. He is his master. And we're supposed to hear this and think, this is absurd. This is horrific, what he's doing. So he's acting like he's a master and he's treating the servant like he's superior to him. And when we hear this parable, it it's supposed to cause us to hear it and be like, what, this servant is insane. How could somebody who was forgiven that much debt go and turn to a servant and treat him so unjustly, full of rage, choking him and then throwing him into prison. How could somebody do that? That is insane that somebody could do that. That is so wicked. And hearing this parable, what is supposed to happen is what happened with Nathan and David when he says, that man is you. That man is you. When David says, That man deserves to die, and Nathan says, That man is you. As we hear this, it's supposed to turn on us and say, Is this man you? Is this man you? Are you like this man? Have you received the abundance of of debt forgiven, a debt you could never repay? Do you then take that and turn on a brother or sister who has wronged you or offended you and say, you do not deserve my forgiveness. You have wronged me beyond anything that you you don't deserve forgiveness. You don't deserve to have that debt canceled. Is that you? That's what this parable is supposed to do. It's supposed to turn it on us and say, are you this man? Are you like this man? This is a picture of a stronghold in biblical times. It's a place or a means of safety, protection, and refuge. And you would have water and food behind these strongholds so that in case there was an attack or anything, that you would have resources to fortify you, um, depending on how long the attacks last. And in scripture, God is supposed to be our stronghold. In times of anger, in times of frustration, when somebody wrongs you, when somebody cheats you, when somebody uh, manipulates you or wrongs you, in times of uncertainty and anxiety and when fear, you're tempted to allow fear to grip your heart, this is where you're supposed to run to. This is where we find refuge, and not only refuge, but right thinking, where your mind gets renewed in the presence of God, where you exchange your wounds, your offenses, your anxieties, your fears, you exchange it and you get God's perspective. This is the place we're always supposed to run to. God, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. Pastor mentioned this verse earlier, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it and are safe. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. But what happens a lot of times, especially in wounding and offenses, when somebody wrongs you and somebody cheats you, um, when somebody talk smack about you, or does something worse, abuse, right? In times of physical abuse, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse. A lot of times what happens is instead of running to God and instinctively going to him, we end up building our own stronghold. We end up choosing different weapons to provide us a place of safety and protection. In Ephesians 4 26 to 27, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. That word place in Greek is tapos, topos, T O P O S. Topos, do not give place to the devil. Topos, that word is the root word of the word topography. Topography is the study of land, the study of contours in land, heights, steps, things like that. So do not give place, do not give an inhabited place to the devil. In Greek, that's, that's what topos means, an inhabited place. Do not give the devil a place to inhabit your soul. In other translations, this word place is foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. And it's the same concept. Do not give the enemy any ground to inhabit your soul. Unforgiveness is the first brick in a stronghold that builds in your heart of offenses. It's the first layer of those of these bricks, unforgiveness. Because from unforgiveness, when you don't deal with the small things and the big things, when you don't deal with unforgiveness, it morphs. It doesn't just stay as unforgiveness, it changes into bitterness. And from bitterness, hatred. From hatred, rage. From rage, murder. Bill Johnson says, bitterness is Murder in diapers. It's like the baby form of murder is bitterness. So you leave it there and it will morph and it will increase and it will take up higher and higher ground of darkness in your soul. That's what unforgiveness, the smallest seeds of unforgiveness does if it's not dealt with. So now instead of God being your stronghold, you've built a tower of darkness inside of your soul where the enemy has free reign. What Isaac said last week about, you know, come landing strip, come here, come here, come and have your way here. That is what we do where we build a tower of darkness where the enemy can freely reign inside this stronghold. And the only way to be released from this stronghold is to Just do it, just forgive, release the debts. Take down each brick one by one through confession, what we looked at last week, forgiveness, renouncing lies, and repentance, which we're gonna look at in a few weeks. That's how each brick gets destroyed. And especially forgiveness is not just, it doesn't just take one brick at a time. Forgiveness is actually like a bomb a bomb that hits this lowest level and causes the walls to crumble because it's built the stronghold is built on unforgiveness on bitterness it builds it morphs from there but it starts as a seed of unforgiveness so when you go after forgiveness with everything you have with holy spirit search my heart is there any place where i need to forgive myself is there any place where i have to let you off the hook i've I've held an offense against you. Is there any place where I need to let a brother or sister off the hook? Is there anybody I need to confront? When you make that a regular, just daily part of your conversation with him, you are demolishing every dark stronghold the enemy tries to set up in the soul, the contours of your soul. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We do not war word for word, curse for curse. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. One of the greatest weapons God's given us in our arsenal is forgiveness. It demolishes this whole stronghold, pulls it down casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. Search my heart, God. Bring every thought into captivity. Into the obedience of Christ. That is what we do when we exercise forgiveness. When we just choose, release the debts. God, I release the debts. I release the debts to you. So what forgiveness actually is, is you absorb the cost. This is saying there is a cost. There is a cost to wrongdoing. There is a cost to sin. There is a cost when somebody sins against us, when we sin against others. There is a cost, and someone has to absorb the cost. And forgiveness is saying, I will absorb that cost. It's like if this is such a... Sad example, but if I went over to pastor's house and I took all of his watches, even the ones that are like, you can't get them anymore. They're not around. I took all of them and I just haphazardly threw them or dropped them and they all shattered. All of them. There's no way I could even pay him back because some of them, what, they're like one of a kind. They're limited editions. Who's going to absorb that cost? Pastor being a very loving person, right? <laughs> he's going to have to wrestle with the Lord over that. But but uh, he's going to absorb that cost because I cannot. I, where am I going to get those watches from? He will, by the grace of God and through the power of God, he will absorb that cost. <laughs> you understand? Forgiveness is saying there is a cost. And somebody has to absorb it. It's not just... just just it, it's easy it's just you know just do it and it's so easy and everyone should be able to do it what's wrong with you no there is an acknowledgement there is a cost it's costly and somebody absorbs that cost to forgive means you inwardly give up the desire to get even Romans twelve seventeen twenty one 21 says repay no one evil for evil have regard for good things in the sight of all men If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So when we do not give up this desire for revenge, what you're saying is, God, I dethrone you. I dethrone you as the judge because I don't think you're doing that good enough. I don't think you're doing that well enough and I am going to sit in the place of judgment and I choose revenge and I choose to give back what they gave me. That is what we do when we do not give up the desire to get even. We're saying, I can do this better than you, God, and we're living in rebellion. Rebellion, let's just call it what it is. To forgive means you give that up. You say, God, you are judge. You, I trust you. I trust that you are just. And you cause all things to come into account. That's what we do when we forgive. To forgive means you release the offender into God's hands and not your own. And to forgive means, this one, to release unmet expectations. So whether it's in marriage or friendship or leadership, authority figures, your parents, whether legitimate or not, if you have expectations that are unmet, Mm -hmm. then there is a need either to have, if if you don't end up having a confrontation, a conversation, all of that, sure, have that. But if still, after all of that, you still have expectations that are unmet, you must release your expectations because it's in the same category of offense and forgiveness. So you wanna make sure whether with your spouse or your friends or your pastors or anybody in authority that you are aware of what's going on in your own heart. Are there any unmet expectations? Are there any expectations I've had that I've been disappointed by? That is the same category of releasing debts, releasing what you think is owed you. Same category. So it's in the category of forgiveness. What forgiveness is not, we already mentioned it. It is not over here. It's not a feeling. It's scripture never talks about it as a feeling. It is a choice. It is an action you choose. It is a debt you release. That's the category of forgiveness. Corey Ten Boom. Uh, she was a Holocaust survivor. Her family housed hundreds of Jews in the Holocaust, and she ended up. They ended up going to a concentration camp. And this is what she says. She wrote a lot on forgiveness and spoke about it. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. So it's not dependent on what's going on. Warmth, fuzzy feelings. No, no, no. It's not about any of that. It's a choice. It's a decision. Just do it. Release the debt. Forgiveness is not saying that what the offender did is now okay. That's right. You're not excusing them. You're not justifying what happened. You're not rationalizing. None of that is forgiveness. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not that you go into denial. You don't forget this ever happened to you. It's not that... Forgiveness erases your memory. Forgiveness removes the power of that memory over your life. If you're not living in forgiveness, it still has power over you, whether you know it or not. So forgiveness removes the power of that memory, of that event over your life. Forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. And I don't have time to get into fully the difference, but... Forgiveness does not require an apology. Sometimes you will need to, you know, confront somebody, you will need to confess and ask for forgiveness, but forgiveness from the heart does not require anybody to say anything to you. You don't need another person, you don't need an apology, you don't need to hear that they were sorry, regretful of what they did. No, no, no. Okay. Forgiveness is you and God. It doesn't require anybody else. It's something that happens in the heart. You choose to release the debt in your heart. You don't need anybody else there. Forgiveness is not trust. You don't need to let them back into your life. You don't need to be a doormat. You don't need to say everything's yes. No, forgiveness and trust are very different things and they're not the same. What forgiveness does in our lives, it removes Satan's ground. We talked about this, tapas. The only authority the devil has in your life is the authority you give him, the only authority he has. When we choose to live in right thinking with God, we allow him to search us we allow him to renew our minds we allow him to to point out shine the flashlight in our souls god is there anywhere where you know there's unforgiveness there's resentment there's bitterness as he exposes those areas you remove the enemy's ground more and more and more forgiveness releases heaven on earth The unseen world is altered whenever you do something that's in agreement with heaven. Always. Always. Heaven on earth. That's why Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. It's always altered when you do something in agreement with heaven. I remember about, probably now, almost 20 years ago, I remember the first time out loud I prayed a forgiveness prayer for my dad and I was with my mentor, and I felt nothing. I wasn't crying, I I hadn't seen him in like a decade, so it's not like I've been thinking about him, but I just chose, I'm gonna forgive him. I, I spoke it out loud, I blessed him, I interceded, God, break off every chain the enemy has on him, wherever he is, I just blessed him, I released him. And when I did that, head to toe, my body was buzzing on the inside, like vibrating. Um, And I remember God speaking to my spirit saying, heaven, this is the atmosphere of heaven. This is the atmosphere of heaven and it's being released on earth. It's being released through that prayer. It's being released. Forgiveness on like, Anything else, it releases heaven on earth because it's so counter to the world's culture, to the systems of this world. There's nothing like this. There's nothing like the forgiveness of God. There's nothing like releasing debts and absorbing that. There's nothing like that in the world system. So this releases heaven on earth in the most powerful, beautiful way. It allows you to move forward with your life. You are the primary beneficiary of forgiveness. The enemy, you know, the Matthew 18, he becomes a prisoner. He's thrown into jail and the torturers are released. The enemy wants you to live as a prisoner of your past, as a prisoner of what happened to you, what you did, what you didn't do what others didn't do for you, what others did do to you. He wants you to live in the prison of your past. Because when you live there, you cannot see or hear God clearly, you cannot see your present clearly, and you have no hope for your future. And that is what the enemy's after. so you get to move forward with your life you get to remove every shackle and step out of those prison cells when you choose forgiveness it removes the poison in your thought life so what happens when we're offended and i would say even when we're offended and we decide you know what i'm gonna go I'm gonna go confront them, and you haven't walked through forgiveness yet, already you're deceived. Already your view of the situation of that person, of what they did, of what they were thinking, of their motives, you've already been poisoned in your mind, yep. and you haven't gone to the Lord to get that unclouded. You haven't gotten depoisoned from the Lord from asking him to forgive you, from asking for his perspective. Unforgiveness poisons your thought life. You think, and and the enemy uses reason. He, it, you know, you listen to people that are highly offended. It sounds reasonable. Like, yeah, that's not right what they did. Like there's reason to people holding on onto offense. But the enemy wants to poison that like he did in the garden when he started with the lie. You know, God, the lie was, God is withholding something, Adam and Eve, right? God's withholding something from us, and it poisoned their thought life because it poisoned how they view God, poisoned how they view each other. So forgiveness removes that poison in our thought lives. And it puts you in a, this is the best one. Well, they're all good, but it puts you in a position to receive a greater blessing I know this church is all about greater blessings. So Luke 6, 38, it says, Give and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. That's why Jesus says, if you don't forgive, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses because it's the measure you use with others, with yourself, with God, that's the measure that's given back to you. So this statement, if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive, that's not a punitive statement. That's not a punishment statement. It's descriptive. It describes how our souls work. It describes how forgiveness works. This is a quote by N.T. Wright, um, a New Testament scholar. Forgiveness is like the air in your lungs. There's only room for you to inhale the next lungful when you've just breathed out the previous one. If you insist on withholding it, refusing to give someone else the kiss of life they may desperately need, you won't be able to take any more in yourself and you will suffocate very quickly. The lung is either open or closed. If it's open, able, and willing to forgive others, It will also be open to receive God's love and forgiveness. But if it's locked up to the one, it will be locked up to the other. This is descriptive, how how forgiveness works. It's descriptive, not punitive. And two categories that I do want to mention briefly. Um, Pastor mentioned it first, but self-bitterness and self-judgment. Some of these statements, if these ring through your head, it's like, like alarm, (laughs) like this is is you. Um, I can't forgive myself. I don't deserve God's forgiveness. I did this to myself. I'm a terrible person, I'm so stupid. And it's statements that result from something you did and a consequence you're living in as a result. I remember like many years ago thinking oh, I've been going around this mountain again. Like, dang it. Like, this is my fault that I'm going around this mountain again. And self-bitterness, what it does is, that might be a true statement. Like maybe, yeah, you know, you should have maybe not done that. And it would have saved you some pain. It would have saved you some years. But self-bitterness talks like this. Instead of the ability to see the power of God's redemptive work how he's able to redeem all things and turn it around and work in a different timetable than you think self-bitterness is very self-focused i did this so i will i i deserve this consequence that's why i'm delayed that was my thought. that's why i'm delayed that was my thought process and in those statements there is no room to view God and His redemption and what He's able to do and how He's able to redeem all things. So self bitterness, self judgment is a lot of I, I, I I. And this is actually one of the greatest forms of pride because you're holding yourself to a higher standard than what God is speaking over you. You can't even hear it. Because you're just focused on yourself. And you're, you're holding on to what you did and the consequences of what you did and you you're not releasing yourself you're not letting yourself off the hook and you can't hear and receive god's forgiveness so monitor your self-talk does the voice sound like god's voice does it sound like a voice of condemnation and the other category is offense against god and this usually happens because we have an unfulfilled expectation of god Maybe he didn't do something you thought or hoped he would, or he didn't do it in the timetable you thought or expected he would. Maybe, you know, there were promises he spoke over you, prophetic words you got, and none of them have come to pass, and you're offended at God because of it. God, why aren't you coming through? Why did you let that happen? Why are you taking so long? So these are the... The the voices of accusation that we can have against God, and it's always our limited perspective that's leading to warped thinking. But if it's there, you want to release it. You want God to point it out. He already knows it's there, and he's there's no shame. There's no what you want is exposure. You want the light to expose that there's places where you've been disappointed. It's really a Underneath it is disappointment, is disappointment of an expectation you had that wasn't met. You have to get to that level instead of the level of, God, you, why? Offense. Deeper underneath that is pain, is disappointment. Get to that layer. The result of believing untruths about God, if you do not get to that layer, Trust is eroded in your relationship with God, and it continues to erode, and you get more and more distant from God. You'll keep him at arm's length. Again, Adam and Eve, God is withholding from us. That's the lie, and it leads to a break in trust. So when we are exposing, allowing God to expose what's in our hearts, to show us, is there any offense what you're doing is you're saying, I want this bridge repaired, this gap that's between us, God. No pretending. Get to the bottom layer. Get to the bottommost layer so that trust is restored and deepened. So the steps of how to forgive, actually forgive. Um, first, it starts with acknowledging there is an offense in your heart. And this sounds obvious, but... So many people think thoughts like, it wasn't that bad. It happened so many years ago. My parents, they didn't meet, that's all they had to work with. Minimizing, denying, rationalizing. All of this is not acknowledging. And actually when we do all those other things, there's still pain underneath. There's childhood wounds, there's unmet needs from when we were younger. But what happens is we never get to that layer where there still is loss and grief and unmet expectations and unmet hopes and grievances. But when we don't acknowledge that and we live in denial, minimizing, rationalizing, that grief, loss, pain, it doesn't just stay again in a neat little corner tucked away, it morphs. The grief, the loss, it turns into apathy. It turns into depression. It yep. turns into body ailments. It, yep. it morphs, it changes. So that is not helping you at all, denying, minimizing, rationalizing. You want to open yourself up and say, God, is there any offense, even from childhood, God, that still my soul is carrying the memories of? You want to ask him to search you, especially if there's areas of, I don't know why I'm, I have depression. I don't know why I'm holding grief. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know why I have bodily ailments. These symptoms are like red light indicators, like there's something deeper. Get to the deeper root. Yes. Those are just symptoms. Give it to God you know, as the next step. Grieve before God. Do this process with God. Set the time aside to do this. There's no shortcut to healing. There's no shortcut. You must get away with God alone and give it to him. And everything starts with remembering God's forgiveness of you. We looked at that in Matthew 18, and I don't think I have time to get into this, but Luke 7, 41, it's another passage about debtors. There's two debtors, the alabaster jar and the woman. And I'll just skip to the last verse, where Jesus says, "'Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, "'for she loved much.'" She poured out that alabaster jar and wiped Jesus' feet with her tears. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. When we remember God's forgiveness of us, our understanding of God's love increases it, expands in our soul. It expands because we're so moved and, and in awe of how much he, how much debt He absorbed to give us freedom. When we remember God's forgiveness of us, it makes it easy to extend forgiveness to others. So, soak in the goodness of God. Soak in all that he did on the cross, all that he did to absorb our debts. And confess any sin. Usually when there's an offense, there's a counter offense. There's a counter reaction that is sin even when someone does something against you and you did nothing wrong per se there often is a counter offense there's judgment there's bitterness so confess a hundred percent of your part in that and then just choose just do it choose to release the debt owed hand the person over to Jesus because God will always supply you with the power to back up anything He asks you to do, anything in Scripture that's a command. He not only gives you the command, He gives you the power to back up everything He asks you to do. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance For every good deed, every good deed, every good thing he's asking of you, he abundantly supplies the power for you to obey what he asks you to do. So we should never be praying, God, help me to forgive, blah, blah, blah. That is a dumb prayer. <laughs> He's already given you everything you need. Just do it, and he will back it up with his power and he will change your heart, something that you could never do for yourself. He will do that if you will just choose to release yes. the debt. Determine in advance to forgive and live redemptively. Choose in advance before any of offenses start Just say, God, I commit to living a redemptive life because what the enemy wants is eye for eye, tit for tat, wound for wound. And what Jesus wants is for us to be so radically transformed that we're redemptive agents in this world where we can receive and absorb debts and give blessings back and the the atmosphere of heaven is released. He's wanting us to be freed up to be creative redemptive agents in this world and that's what we do when we choose forgiveness so i'm going to wrap up here this has come up a lot it's come up pastor spoke about this few weeks ago isaac mentioned it last week and this story is just it was so on my heart to share just a few things about this story because it is full of Forgiveness. So when the father runs out to the son, you guys heard no respectable Jewish man does that because you'd have to lift up your robe and show your bare legs and respectable Jewish men do not do that. But not only that, in ancient Middle Eastern culture, the prodigal sin the prodigal son's sin was not just a sin against his father. It was actually a sin against the whole village because it's communal. It's communal, the identity. And so when he comes back to his hometown, it's actually a common practice for a Jewish son who lost his inheritance among Gentiles. It's common practice that when he comes back to his hometown, if anybody sees him, there's a ritual where you take a large pot and you'd smash it in front of his feet and you'd yell at him and you'd basically communicate that he's been disowned from the entire community he's been excommunicated. This is a common Jewish practice. So for the father to run out to the son before anybody else can get there and to embrace him and hug him, what he's doing is he is absorbing that cultural shame on himself because now he is the one that looks shameful, running, bearing his legs, he is taking that shame on himself. And he is showing the whole village the standard of how you are now supposed to relate to my son. You relate to him with honor, not with shame. That's what the father is doing in this whole story. He's setting the standard. And in that, he absorbed all the guilt, all the shame of this son upon himself. Jesus, in Hebrews 12, it says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, scorning its shame, thinking nothing of the shame, and sat at the right hand of the throne of God. He thought nothing of the shame that he bore on his own body, the debt that he absorbed into his own flesh, He thought nothing of it. He despised and scorned that shame that he absorbed. And he's saying, will you, my son, my daughter, will you go and do and be likewise? See, when we fully understand the Father's heart, when that just gets into the deepest places of our soul, it becomes so easy to release a debt of 100 denarii it becomes so easy, it becomes logical. Of course I would do that. Father, we just thank you that this is the type of father that you are and you empower us for every act of forgiveness you call us to. And we ask for you to expose God through your loving care, expose areas where there's unforgiveness, where there's bitterness. Father, if there's someone we need to confess to, we need to apologize to. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you guide us into all truth. And so we just allow you to lead us and we say we need you. And we thank you that your power gives us everything we need to choose forgiveness, to choose to release all debts. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want us to, like last week, break up into groups of three, um, same gender, and just ask these questions. There's a handout that I'll give you guys too. Um, But first, is there anyone you need to let off the hook, whether that's yourself, God, or another? And really examine the self one because that's the one that was really highlighted um, prepping for tonight. That amongst us, that that was the one we really needed to go after. So um, just throwing that out there. Confess any unforgiveness, judgment, bitterness. So share that with the group. Oh, when we're doing the first step, is there anyone you need to let off the hook? No long narratives. There's no need to share your full story. No, 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 no. We're not doing that tonight. Tonight, it's just, it just. yes, there is somebody. It's this person, you know. And then this is the part. Confess any unforgiveness, judgment, or bitterness. Again, you don't need long narratives. Just say it's there. Confess it. And then pray using the sheet. So, um, yeah, if you could help pass those out. So there are some prayers written up um, that you just walk through, pray those prayers, and then afterwards, the other two people in your group are going to pray a, a blessing over you and release forgiveness on you. So after that first person shares, then you move on to the next person, and then you move on to the third person like that. Okay, great.
0: Excellent. That was so good on the father absorbing the shame. Beautiful. It was a school there, culturally and uh, truth. I want to just. I didn't know she had this, so I don't know what's on there, what's not on there. So I'm gonna just. Uh, I can't. I won't be able to do a long talk. But not that smart. So, I, but what I, I do want. I want to. I want to just bring up a few things because sometimes we don't think of these things, and maybe she did think of these things, but can read it paper <laughs> so sometimes you need to forgive your father
1: mm-hmm.
0: let's say your father was absent let mm-hmm. let's say he was abusive let's say he lived a destructive life and died early I'm not talking about someone died because they got sick, but I mean, like, he, like, let's say, drank himself to death or something, or, or died of a drug overdose. You, you have to forgive your father. Let's say you had a father, but he was abusive. You're going to have to forgive him. Let's say you had a father who was not an example of Christ in your home. Mm-hmm. Like, he did not love your mother like Christ loved the church. I can keep going on and on and on and on. Let's say you did not have a nurturing mother because your mother was too busy working because the father was absent. Right? Let's say because your father did not protect you, God forbid you were abused physically or sexually. Right? I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a few more just so you understand. Let's just say uh, your older sibling introduced you to wicked or ungodly things Mm. when they were young. Mm -hmm. Let's say an older cousin introduced you to, you know, porn or something, which had a destructive, Mm -hmm. uh, did destructive things in your life. You're basically going through your family tree from grandparents or from father or mother and you're forgiving those people for not playing the role mm-hmm. they were supposed to play yeah. in your life.
1: Yeah.
0: Let's say you had a big brother and he was not an example of Christ and he did not protect you and, and guide you. And he wasn't this is he may never ask you for, for you know to be forgiven, but that may be something that you have to let go and release because if you don't. It's, it's, there's a, when you're dealing with forgiveness, let me say it this way. I don't want to preach. You already did a fabulous job preaching. But I'm a, I'm a practitioner. I deal with people all the time. Mm-hmm. And I myself am a person. And I know that sometimes it's, it, there's stuff there that's mm-hmm. layers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's layers of father stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's just say, I'll give you another one. Father wasn't there. That affected you economically. So now you have a distorted view on money mm-hmm. because money represents more security than even money can provide that you didn't have. So now you have an ungodly connection to money. And so now you operate with fear even though you have money. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, like I, I don't want to go into it, but there's a, there's a lot of different things mm-hmm. in your life that you have, you have to ask the Lord to show you the truth mm-hmm. about your heart and show you the truth about the expectations that were not met, the example that was not set, no. the, the vacancies in your life where there wasn't good, godly people. Let's just say, here's here's another one. Let's say you're a Christian and your parents did not really position themselves well in relationships. Mm. So you you don't understand the value of relationships. So now you're 33 mm-hmm. and you have almost no relationships that are really valuable and can really edify you and pour life into you because you you were no one modeled good relationships. So you don't you don't that's a foreign thing for you. So you say I don't need anybody but, I mean, anyone who's going to do anything significant needs people. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We couldn't even get the the, 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 the live stream on today. <laughs> My wife had to come back. And, you know. So so the idea that we don't need people is crazy. It's, it's demonic. It's pride. And it's usually rooted in pain. Mm-hmm. So why don't you guys break up mm-hmm. into groups? Right? I'm going to... Talk while you break up. (laughs) I don't want to be talking to you, but I do want to kind of just give you some thoughts. What I want to do is, I want to pray over this time while you guys get together. This is very important. Lord,
1: we we thank you
0: for this time. We thank you for Tina setting aside time. Thank you that she's really concerned about the health and the freedom of your people, Lord. I pray, God, that we use these moments to breathe life into us and to mm-hmm. show us the truth. Help us to, for- help us to know who to forgive mm-hmm. and what to forgive, because you've given us the authority to forgive. Yeah but help us to know exactly and specifically, mm. and Lord, if there's people that we need to ask for forgiveness from, mm-hmm. show us Yeah. Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you guys want to move a little? Like spread out a little? Are you okay with that, Jasmine? Are you okay if we move over a little?